Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this edition of the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh School Podcasting Network. I'm Jeff Cooper. He's Corey Geiger. Penn State's made quite a bit of decisions, or people have made quite a bit of decisions, at the university for the football program. First one I want to reference is Sean Clifford, who decided he's coming back for his super, super senior year. Uh, Six-year <laughs> guy now. It's going to be his fourth as the starting quarterback. We touched on that uh, on Corey's Sports Central Radio Show on WRTA in Altoona uh, that you can find on Megaphone. But the biggest decision that I want to focus on today really is the hiring of defensive coordinator. Brent Pry goes to Virginia Tech as the head coach. Great step up for him. Uh, he's actually bringing some Penn State flavor uh, to Blacksburg, Virginia. He's hired Tyler Bowen uh, as offensive coordinator, former tight ends coach, interim offensive coordinator uh, before Mike Yersich was brought on. But they've hired Manny Diaz, the former defensive coordinator or former defensive coordinator and head coach at the University of Miami in Florida. And I think Corey, once again, on paper, it seems as James Franklin has really hit a home run with this hire. Yeah, it looks like a really good hire. Manny Diaz has been a defensive coordinator for 13 seasons, uh, been a college head, a college coach for 24 years, a head coach for three years. Uh, it's a lot of, it's a, it's a big splash hire. It's a big name. Uh, James Franklin went out and got a big name last year in Mike Yersich. Uh, that really did not work out all that well for the offense this year because the offense was disappointing, but maybe Mike Yersich, you know, can turn things around and he does have a great track record. Manny Diaz, uh, has been at some big stops, Texas, Mississippi state, Miami, he's been a head coach. He knows major college football. Uh, I, I'm I'm excited by this because this guy has a defensive background, Jared, and that's and and he's experienced. Here's something I want I want to address, and that is James Franklin needs to surround himself with tremendous coaches and then let them do their jobs. He let Brent Pry do his job. He let Ricky he let Joe Moorhead do his job. I don't think James Franklin let Ricky Ronnie do the job. I don't think James Franklin let Kirk Shiraka do the job. I don't think James Franklin let Mike Yersich do the job against Michigan State when they're running, and it's just outrageous, you know, when they should be throwing the ball. So you see what I'm getting at, Jared, of this is a guy that has enough cachet, enough experience that maybe James Franklin can – that he, he has a, 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 a great deal of respect already, and James will say, hey, the defense is yours. You take care of it. I won't have to interfere just like I didn't interfere with Brent Fry. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing is he's got the experience, man. He's been a defensive coordinator. He's been a play caller, which is exactly what James Franklin wanted. He's, he's been a head coach. You know, I think he got a raw deal at Miami. I don't think what happened to him was very fair. But, you know, that's the nature of the business. The boosters, the alumni, whoever didn't want him there, they wanted Mario Cristobal. That's just kind of the way that it goes. It's a cutthroat business. 
But James Franklin gets his guy. I know there are a lot of people that wanted Elijah Robinson, who's down at Texas A&M. But, hey, this is a guy that's a proven commodity. He's proven that he's capable of doing the job and doing it at a high level. You know, it's not that they didn't have success defensively at Miami under him. They did. You know, they beat Pitt this year. So, you know, that's a situation too, right? You know, Penn State always wants to one-up Pitt. Well, they got the coach. One of the coaches that beat Pitt this year, and, and Pitt had one heck of a season. But, you know, they get the guy that they want. And, and this is a guy that, you know, they're, they're, the defensive coordinator searches was really hot all week, right? It was, who's it going to be? You know, you had Anthony Poindexter being rumored to go to Virginia and then that falling through, and that goes to Tony Elliott. And, and you just – there's just so much going on, and and it, they finally get the guy, and, and I think it's a really, really good hire. I don't know that we can be any more specific than that because, on paper, this makes sense for everybody involved. And you know what? And maybe in a couple of years, three or four years, when Manny Diaz, if, if things go well, Hey, that he's going and he's a head coach again at, at, somewhere in the, at the collegiate ranks. But for now, though, they've got the job done and they have their guy. It's interesting that you said three or four years because uh, uh, kind of the same with Yersich. If Manny Diaz comes in here and crushes it for even one year, maybe two, then maybe he's a head coach here in, in a year or two. And so that would be maybe the only drawback I would see uh, because then you you know you could potentially be having to make another move here with the defensive coordinator in, in a couple of years, but but look that means if that happens, that's a good problem to have because that means their defense will have been really really successful. And just like we said with Mike Yersich, if Mike Yersich was really 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 successful, then he could become a head coach in a year or two. Uh, again, it didn't work out for Yersich this season in particular, but the the bottom line is Penn State defense has a tremendous national reputation. It has for decades. And to be able to get the head coach, you know, just fired head coach of the University of Miami, one of the great programs in college football history, then, you know, that's that that shows Penn State's cachet and what a great job, you know, that that defensive coordinator position is. Right, and I think that's one of the things, too, we can dive a little further into James Franklin's contract extension, right? I mean, it's not the contract wasn't about James Franklin. He's getting about the same money, if not a little bit more than what he used to, what he's typically getting. It's about the resources in the program. It's paying his assistants. You don't get a guy of Diaz's caliber without being able to pay him a significant amount of money. So when you invest that type of money into assistant coaches, whether they're there for one, two, three, four years, that shows that you're invested in the program and you want it to succeed because as, as much as Penn state succeeds, that's exactly what the university needs. That's more money for them. That's more, it's more money for everybody. I apologize. I'm standing on the street in Times Square and I was just a bike that passed me by listening to some country music. So hopefully we don't get tripped up on YouTube. Um, but again, you know, it's one of those situations, right? You get the guy that you want, you pay the money that he wants to be an assistant. And again, paper, this is great. Now, we still have a long way to go to see if this is actually going to work out on the field. Yeah, and uh, he's got Florida ties, or he's got Texas ties. I've been trying to read up on Manny, Manny Diaz as much as possible, and some Miami fans will say he didn't recruit South Florida all that well. So it's interesting, you know, I, we don't know exactly, but – Manny Diaz has been in Florida. 
He's familiar with that area. You would think that he's got good connections. Whether he was able to recruit as many people as Miami felt like it needed to have to, you know, to, to get back to national prominence like the U fans want, well, maybe not. Who knows? Um, but you would, you would think that with his connections in Florida, having been there, J1 Sider, the running backs coach, has connections in Florida. Florida is a fertile ground. You know, Penn State needs to recruit Florida well. They need to recruit Texas well, at least have a presence there. And so, again, on paper, this, this looks like a fantastic hire, Jared. Yeah, right. You're, I mean, that's the thing, too. And, and I think with his ability to recruit Florida, it also provides them with some leeway should J1 Sider find another job, potentially go to, to say, Florida with Billy Napier. So, I mean, there's some options here moving forward for Penn State and for everybody involved. And I think that's one of the biggest things, too, is they, they, they're setting themselves up for success down the road. And that's exactly what the Nittany Lions need. But we're going to talk a little bit more about what's going on in the future and the coming weeks for Penn State as we get into the second segment here on the We Are podcast and the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome back to the We Are Podcast, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm Corey Geiger. Just kidding. I'm Jared Primar. He's Corey Geiger. <laughs> Welcome back. It's been one of those days. Um, Corey, speaking of one of those days, recruiting is a, is a disaster at times. It's the best of times. It's the worst of times. It's say what you want. You either love it or you hate it, right? But early signing days coming up this week. Penn State's got an impressive, as impressive class as they've ever had uh, coming in, um, you know, they're putting the finishing touches. They're wrapping up the bows. They're making their final visits. They're taking helicopter rides at the state championship games. You know, James Franklin has always been a great recruiter, but they're really pulling out all the stops for a lot of these guys to get them to happy rally. Yeah, they went out and visited uh, Drew Aller, Nick Singleton, Caden Saunders, uh, just to make sure that, you know, everything was uh, buttoned up. They did that uh, last week. A bunch of the coaches, James Franklin and some of the assistants, uh, this is a strong class. It, it starts with uh, the quarterback to, to be able to get the number one quarterback recruit in the country uh, is boy that ha- that there's a lot of reason to be excited. Uh, Drew Aller, if you watch the film and you see the highlights and everything, Jared, I mean, he's a guy that looks like he could be a superstar. Uh, now, Hackenberg came in with this kind of this kind of hype and didn't really live up to it. Um, Hackenberg was never really accurate in high school. If you go back and you look at his high school career, he, he really was like a 53, 54% passer then. And so everything I've read about Drew Aller is he's, he's very accurate with the ball. He's really, um, you know, just comfortable in an offense. So it starts with him as of right now, just look as, as we're filming the, or recording this Penn state has the number six class in the country, according to 247, it's Bama, Georgia, A&M, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and then Penn State at number six. So uh, some movement in, in this, uh, Penn State dropping to six, and we thought that would probably happen as, uh, you know, some other people brought in some more commits. But there's plenty of reason to be excited with, excited with this, Jared. And quite frankly, to be honest with you, uh, this class is one of the reasons why I think 
James Franklin was able to get that 10-year contract. He's done good things at Penn State. They've struggled for a couple of years. But you you talk about this all the time. You, you're, one of your favorite words is stability. And in order you know, to keep James Franklin, or in order to keep this recruiting class, people at the university felt like they needed to make a full commitment to James Franklin. Because you see at Oklahoma, you see at some of these other places where coaches leave, now all of a sudden you've got turmoil and chaos with these recruits. Right, and the, the coaching market is successful because you have guys like, like Diaz, right? He's the head coach, and the University of Miami is, is very publicly going and finding and interviewing other coaches. He is out on the road recruiting, right? So, I mean, yes, yeah, stability is always good in coaching. I mean, you just you see it, in, and you, you hate to see it for other coaches. And I, I empathize with them because as a coach, obviously I'm not a, a collegiate coach by any means, but, you know, it, it sucks because it, it is a business. It's cutthroat because you, it's what have you done for me lately? And Diaz didn't do enough lately. But Franklin, man, I mean, the recruits, the, the recruiting has been there, right? It's just the results in the field that really haven't kind of added up. And, yeah, I mean, you're going to have some hit or misses. And, and guys like Nate Bruce who, who get to college and then they end up having to transfer or, or drop out because it's just not the right time. They're not mature enough to handle it. So, I mean, my biggest thing now with this recruiting class is getting them to campus and developing them because now it's, they, they lose their star ranking when they get to college, right? When they set foot on University Park in that campus, they lose their stars. They were the former five-star in high school. Now it's up to them to, do, to be developed, the coaching staff to develop them and, and take it from there because now it, it's, it's put up or shut up time. They, they, the coaches have done their job to get them to Penn State, right? I mean, you're, you're – it, it, in recruiting, it's, are you recruiting them to, to you as the coach? Or is James Franklin say, hey, listen, come to Penn State because I'm there? Or is it coming to Penn State because you're going to get a world-class education and because you're going to, you know, you're going to be better off with that education? Now, when he was talked about for other jobs, a lot of those recruiters said, hey, we're coming to Penn State no matter what, whether James Franklin's here or not. So that's a factor, too. And you don't see that in Oklahoma or well, you, in LSU and, and other places that have really had some roster turnover with their coaching staff and their players. So, I mean, that's a big thing too. I mean, the coaching model and the the recruiting model has changed so drastically, even in the last 20 20 years, 10, 15 years, it's just so crazy that what's going on right now. So, I mean, Hey, get them to campus, sign, seal, deliver, and see what happens from there. Well, one thing I think that's interesting and, and worth discussing and that is the early signing period. For years and years and years, people kind of looked forward to and wondered if we would get an early signing day. You know, it's come about the last few years. Most programs do the bulk of their signings on this early day in December. And I think it's created big problems for college football. I, I, I you know, you're starting to see some reports out now about whether this early signing period is going to last because you've got, for lack of a better word, Jared, you've got chaos in college football in early December. You've got all these coaches moving. Look, let's remember, these are people's lives, man. These are people's livelihoods. There's tens and hundreds of millions of dollars at stake with coaches' salaries, players and their futures, NIL deals. To, to have an early signing period right now when so much time is being spent on coaches coming and going, the pressure for them to find 
uh, you know, to, to if they, they get a job, they got to leave right away. I, I just think that, that to add this signing period right now in the middle of December, when you've got, again, literal chaos at some of these programs, I just don't think this is a good thing. Um, can they move it back? You know, maybe February was too late. Maybe that was too late in the process like it used to be. Can you put it in January after the bowls? I just think right now with so many programs, so many coaches, so many things up in the air, to be to have to force everybody to make these kinds of decisions and 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 be in place to make these kinds of decisions in mid-December. I, I just don't think that this is a good time for it. You know, Corey, I don't either. Um, but hey, chaos gets ratings, right? We give a crap about college recruiting right now. We give a crap about the coaches carousel. Right? We talk about how great of an amusement park ride it is because it just keeps picking up speed. We're just going around in circles and circles and circles because there's still so many different things that that still have to happen. And, and the early signing day creates that. Not that the NCAA would ever do anything that would protect the kids or the business or anything ethical. The NCAA doesn't believe in that because the bottom dollar is the bottom dollar for them. If they're making money, if they're talking about it, hey, listen, the NCAA is going to be all for it. You know, And that's one of the situations too. But I agree with it. I think it, it creates a lot more havoc. And not good havoc, right? I mean, you're, you're uprooting families. You know, you're uprooting a lot of important decisions. These are livelihoods of both kids because education, you know, we talk about the student athletes and of course in certain places, athletes are emphasized more than the student and student is emphasized more than the athlete in other places too. That's just the nature of the game. So, you know, that's a factor too. But again, you, you create this chaos and it's, it's great for ratings. It's great to tune into ESPN and the shock jocks and say, Hey, listen, this is nuts. Let's talk about Chip Kelly potentially going back to Oregon after years and years of being away. Let's talk about Mario Cristobal going to Miami after being at Oregon and, and you know, slugging his way through a Pac-12 championship game that they got smoked in because the team was, wasn't ready and the coaches weren't prepared because he and the offensive coordinator are taking head coaching jobs elsewhere. You know, that's not fair to the kids. I mean, we talk about loyalty all the time, but – you know, if you want to teach these kids a lesson, loyalty matters in the real world. I understand that, you know, with college football, right? Maybe not as, maybe it is in the real world, right? But at the same time, you got to, these kids are kids. They're 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids, 27 or, or 39 year old kids, depending on which Sean Clifford you're talking to, because he's yeah. been at Penn State for what seems like 75 years. But, you know, it's just one of those things. If you want to preach loyalty, you got to, move the deadline back. That would require common sense thinking from the NCAA, and I don't really think they're capable of doing that. I, I, I will agree with everything that you said, but we don't – sports don't exist on that plane of the real world. Uh, sports is fantasy land. Uh, sports is hypothetical. You know, you're right. Loyalty matters in the real world. Um these players are jumping ship left and right as well. They're getting going in the transfer portal. They're looking for what's best for number one. There's a line from the Rodney Dangerfield 1980s movie, Back to School. I love this line. You got to look out for number one and not step in number two. I always love that line. Uh, but look, there's no loyalty. There's no loyalty. Players, players are looking out for themselves. Coaches are looking out for themselves. When you're When you add millions and millions and millions of dollars to things. Um, 
it just is going to lead to a selfish type of scenario. There were more than 1,500 college basketball players in the transfer portal. There are only like 4,700 Division I college basketball players in the country. 1,500 of them were in the portal. Uh, so I don't know the exact number for, for college football, but it was around 20%. It was about you know almost 45% in college basketball, 20 21% in college football. So that's where loyalty, you know, coaches coming and going, players looking out for themselves. Uh, I just think that we have to be realistic about what college athletics is. It's a professional business. It's a professional business that hides itself under the guise of amateurism. And I know that's kind of a long-winded answer about the signing, the early signing period, but I do think it's a good discussion because I know there are going to be people out there, Jared. Well, James Franklin was loyal to Penn State. Yeah, if USC had offered him $100 million for 10 years, do you think he would have taken that? I think so, absolutely. I don't think he had the offer, as I've said repeatedly, but this notion that James Franklin is any more loyal to Penn State than any other coach anywhere else, you know, your loyalty is as good as the next the next uh, opportunity that you have and how much how much money and resources they're willing to give you. Right. I mean, it all adds up. It all adds up. And it's, it's, a, it's the nature of the beast. College athletics is a business. And, you know, the, you want to talk amateurism, all, all that we want. But, I mean, it's free, there's free agency. It's a meat market, right? If a guy doesn't like a situation that he's put himself into, he can leave. And you see that in a transfer portal, which I think has ruined college athletics. Not necessarily ruined, but it's just put a dark cloud over it. But, you know, the portal is there to stay. It's not going anywhere. Same thing. And I hope they do change the, the early signing day. But until then, that would require the NCAA to make some common sense decisions, which I just don't think they're, wrong. they're competent enough to do. But enough about the incompetency of the NCAA, because it's late. Uh, we want you to get on with your Sunday uh, or whenever you're listening to this fine podcast, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. But in the third segment, we're going to talk a little bit more about some fun things that have happened in college football over the last couple of weeks uh, in the last couple of days. On the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network, this has been the We Are Podcast. Third and final segment of the We Are Podcast and DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Radio, uh, Podcasting Network. I'm sorry. Um, Corey, I took the day off on Saturday and it was a pseudo day off because I ended up at the Heisman ceremony, wrote about Kenny Pickett finishing third um, in the Heisman, uh, Heisman voting. Uh, CJ Stroud finished fourth. Aiden Hutchinson finished second. And of course, Alabama's Bryce Young finished first, which is exactly kind of what we expected. What's crazy to me, Corey, is to talk a little bit about the Heisman, Kenny Pickett had a great season. This is not a pit. This is not a pit podcast, but I'm going to give Kenny Pickett a little bit of a little bit of love. That dude has won or made um, every single record at Pitt passing. He's passed Dan Marino and even finished higher than Dan Marino in the Heisman voting. So, first of all, that's impressive. Dan Marino was a great college quarterback, great NFL quarterback in the Hall of Fame. Good for him. Bryce Young expected. Now, what's crazy about Bryce Young in Alabama is. Prior to 2009, Alabama did not have a single Heisman Trophy winner. They've had some great players come through there. Joe Namath, 
to name to name one, right? But once Nick Saban got there, the tide kind of turned, turned, um, pun intended. But now they've had three, or they've had four Heisman Trophy winners at three different positions: quarterback, running back, wide receiver. They won back to back with Devonta Smith winning last season. Uh, he was a wide receiver. Bryce Young was his roommate in college. I think that was kind of cool. But it's just crazy to see they didn't have a single Heisman Trophy winner until Nick Saban got there and really changed things for the better for Alabama. And Alabama's been a perennial power since long before you and I were alive. Or were born, I guess I should say. Yeah, I do think that is pretty wild when I was looking back. And, you know, I've done this before. You you see how many Heisman winners Bama's had. And uh, it is alarming. It was only three before Bryce Young, never a quarterback, because they've always had quarterbacks kind of in – in contention. Um, I'm a Heisman voter. I spend a lot of time on my ballot. I gave Kenny Pickett a tremendous amount of consideration. And I, you know, I, I'm going to point this out here. We're talking about the Heisman, the single best. And so if you say something about why you didn't vote for somebody else, it almost comes across as criticism. That's not what this is. This is we're getting down to the, the, the best of 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 the best. And, and for me, I had three quarterbacks that I was considering voting first, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud from Ohio state and Kenny Pickett. And so you, you've got to come up with criteria, you know? And so this criteria I'm going to give with Kenny Pickett may sound like I'm nitpicking and really criticizing Kenny Pickett. I'm, I'm, I'm nitpicking to the degree of I'm trying to determine the Heisman trophy winner. Okay. So if there are Pitt fans that get offended by what I say, have some perspective, all right? Because I voted Bryce Young the winner. He ran away with it. I shouldn't even really have to defend my vote for Bryce Young, but I know some people are anti-Alabama. He ran away with it. He scored 41 points against the best defense in the country. He plays for Alabama. They're probably going to win the national title. I mean, there's a lot of anti-Bama stuff. But, look, I'm not defending my vote on, on Bryce Young. He, he ran away with the vote easily. Uh, if anybody has any problem with people who voted for Bryce Young, then you can spend the next 10 years calling all of us because there were almost all of us did. I voted CJ Stroud over Kenny Pickett for this reason. Really, for me, it came down to the Miami game. Uh, Kenny Pickett had many opportunities to win that Miami game in the fourth quarter, didn't get it done, threw an interception at the end. Um, Miami's not any good. Um, well, C.J. Stroud lost two games, Geiger. Well, yeah, Ohio State, he, Stroud was phenomenal against Oregon and phenomenal against Michigan, and they lost both those games because Ohio State's defense fell apart. I, I think Kenny Pickett, had he won the Miami game, I think would for me that was something that really hurt him when I'm trying to pick, you know, among all these guys. And so, you know, I, I give Kenny all the credit in the world. He did everything that Pitt could have wanted, uh, but – you know, that you got to have some Heisman moments and you got to have some, uh, you got to avoid some kind of moments too. And I thought that Miami game really kind of set him back. Yeah, right. I mean, I mean, the, the competition was the uh, ACC. And, and I think a big factor here too for him is how many games that Pitt play on the ACC network. You know, they're not getting a lot of eyes on the ACC network. Hell, a lot of people in Pittsburgh couldn't even see them play. And that's their hometown college. No disrespect to Robert Morris or Duquesne, but Pitt is the hometown college in Pittsburgh, right? And, and I think that's tough, too. And, and listen, I mean, it, Bryce Young is a stud, and he's going to continue to be good. 
moving forward for Alabama. Nick Saban is, I think, the greatest coach of all time at the collegiate level. Um, so, I mean, it, it's good, but, you know, we talk about the Heisman ceremony. I'm going to hop across the Hudson River to the Meadowlands where I spent the first part of my day um, watching the Army-Navy game. There's nothing I think that is better than watching the two service academies play football. I love it. I love the triple option, the veer option. I love it. And it's just a great atmosphere. You know, I, I got there as the march on was happening. And it's just it was just so surreal, right? The military flyover, the, the helicopters, the fighter jets, the special jerseys. That's what makes college football so great because they play with a greater purpose. Those guys aren't on scholarship. Those guys are there to play football for fun. It's, it's, not, it's not a business. Those guys, there are six players that are affiliated with NFL rosters in, in the NFL I, uh, that have played at service academies between Army, Air Force, and Navy. That's not a lot. That's six out of however many hundreds, thousands, whatever. But there's a, such a greater purpose because on the field, these two teams and programs are rivals. But off the field, they are defending our country with, the, with, the, with their service to our country and to, with, with their pride in, for their country. And I think that's what speaks volumes to the character of those men and, and those women that are in the service academies and those men that were on that field this afternoon at, the, at, at MetLife Stadium. Because 20 years ago, September 11th, right? They're, they're in New York. They, they're playing in honor of that and tribute of the lives lost because those guys and the people that were impacted paid the ultimate sacrifice. But these guys playing in the shadows of the Manhattan skyline in East Rutherford, New Jersey, were, were able to come together for a greater cause than just college football. That's what college football to me is all about. Yeah, Army-Navy, great rivalry. But on the field, rivalries, camaraderie. Off the field, they're brothers in arms, and they defend our country so that we can do what we do and talk about sports on a podcast in the middle of New York City on a Sunday night or Saturday morning or whatever this is. It's just been a long day. <laughs> yeah, I think that's all very well said, Jared. It's, it's easy to root for those guys. Those are all heroes. Those are the guys protecting our country. What was – see, you probably had that feeling going into the game and, and you were looking forward to that atmosphere. Once you got there, what was the atmosphere actually like? Did it live up to – all of your hopes going into it? Well, I didn't know what to expect, right? I mean, I, I just, I, I mean, Army, Navy, I, I, you know it's a rivalry. I thought on the field they were a lot chippier than I expected, right? They're kind of getting after each other, and I love that. But, you know, the fans were funny. I was I was pulling in, and I mentioned this on Twitter. The first jersey that I saw was not an Army or Navy jersey. or I saw a couple of uniformed officers and policemen. I saw a Trace McSorley Penn State jersey. That was the first jersey I saw when I pulled in the parking lot. I was after I saw a Navy, uh, a Navy fan get destroyed by Army fans, just heckled, nothing, and just in fun nature as he walked out of the bathroom, out of the porta potty. I thought that was pretty funny. But, you know, it, 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 I think it exceeded my expectations. You know, I thought it was a cool atmosphere. I thought it was really neat to begin with. But to go in there and, and just see those teams play and just to see the fans come together and, just the, and all the cadets and the, and the midshipmen and, and everybody and, and just the sailors and it was just such a cool, cool experience. You know, you got Lee Greenwood and, and God bless the USA. And it was just an incredible atmosphere. If you are a college football fan, I highly recommend going to the Army-Navy game. I, I, there's just nothing better. And I, to me, I've been to the Rose Bowl. I've been to the Fiesta Bowl. I've been all across the country watching college football. There's just nothing better to me than Army and Navy. It's just that simple for me. Yeah, I think it's uh, a testament to what 
college athletics can be. Um, and unfortunately, we, we spend a lot of our time talking about contracts and coaching changes and transfers and, you know, struggles in big games. And I will say this, that, uh, you know, this will be the old man in me complaining. I wish we could go back to simpler times in college athletics. The money, I said this on my radio show the other day, Jared. I'm so much less of a sports fan now because of all the money that's involved, all of the, just everything that's involved in sports, not just college athletics, but especially college athletics, because it's supposed to be about education and amateurism. And it's not, it's, you're talking professional businesses here. And so to me, uh, I really get jaded and cynical about so many of the business goings on in, in sports. Uh, look, we, we live, we, we, you, we cover the pirates. You cover the pirates. I've covered the curve for 20 something years. You, you got to deal with the finances of that and how the pirates have a $40 million payroll while other teams have a $200 million payroll. I mean, now there's a lockout in Major League Baseball. Uh, got Chase Claypool of the Steelers gets a first down, and instead of conserving clock, he does his finger point for first down, and they lose seconds, and they lose a play. All this stuff just adds up to me, Jared, that, again, just makes me more jaded and less of a sports fan. So I, I, I can come back to what you're talking about, Army-Navy. Not only is that – are those that you know heroes of our country, those young men, but – they're playing, they're playing the game for the right reasons. My kids are nine years old, Jared. I'm coaching them in a lot of different sports. They play the games for the right reasons. You coach a lot of high school kids. Those kids play the game for the right reasons. And yet what we talk about on this podcast and what we talk about in college and professional sports oftentimes ends up coming down to, you know, guys that it's turned into a business. That's right, Corey. It's all about perspective. And it's just kind of the way that you look at it, because that's what I think endears me to the Army-Navy game. They play for the right reasons. There's so much more than football. There will always be so much more than football. And I'm so thankful and so grateful that we are able to talk about college football on this podcast, college basketball, whatever we want to talk about, whether it's this, your radio show, wherever. I'm so grateful that we're able to do that because of the guys that participate in the Army-Navy game and the guys that, that follow suit in the, in the Marines and the Air Force and all of our servicemen and women that allow us to do what we do. So with that said, we thank you as always for listening. For Corey Geiger, this has been Jared Kugar. Thank you for listening on the We Are Podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network.